Hey, what is going down, everybody? So I just wanted to send a quick little message. Um, my family experienced a, a little tragedy yesterday. My cousin uh, took his own life, 17 years old, and it's one of those kind of typical stories that you hear came out of nowhere, right? On the outside, a happy kid, sweet, good student, uh, you know, wasn't the kind of, wasn't the troubled soul, you know, wasn't like some, I don't know, grumpy, sullen, demeanored type of dude. But um, he ended up uh, taking his life, apparently after a few years of considering it, or at least so he disclosed in a five-page note that he left. Um, but I wanted to I wanted to to record something one because I'm still trying to kind of sort through my own thoughts. You know, he is my father's brother's second oldest so um i guess i kind of our age difference is so wide you know i'm in my mid-30s he was 17 so such a wide gap basically 20 years between us and um my uncle he you know had children much later in life and so when my dad was quite young um so I kind of almost had more of like a an uncle-nephew relationship than a cousin relationship. Although, you know, we would play ball and, and stuff like that when we hung out. But anyway, uh, I wanted to just put some, some thoughts down because I'm still kind of sorting through how to, how to understand it, how to reconcile my thoughts to everything. I'm obviously heartbroken for my uncle. And my dad is, as well, heartbroken. Um, you know, this was this was the the boy that kind of all of us, I think, were really excited to see him grow further into a young man. Uh, he did a lot, you know, kind of taking care of my grandmother, who's older and used to live with with the boys. And he did, uh, he did a lot to take care of her, to look out for her. Um, yeah, he was, he was her favorite, for sure. And um, it's going to be hard for her as well, very hard for her. She's quite old, and so we worry about her well-being in dealing with this. But I, 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 I kind of just wanted to verbalize some thoughts as I'm sorting through ideas and the impact that it's having on various people in my family. One, because this is one of my biggest outlets, right? Whether or not it seems that way or not, when I'm working through stuff with Troy in an average segment, um, it really does act like a type of, of, I hate to use the word because it almost makes it seem trite, but almost a type of therapy. So being able to verbalize things this way is in a way a type of journal, a collaborative journal that Troy and I have. And I'm sure I'll talk with Troy 
uh, about this on the show a little bit further. He always has you know, nuggets of wisdom to share, especially on these types of topics. But, um, but I get emails constantly and DMs constantly, private messages from people who have found the show and who have found great value in the show in helping them deal with their own crises. And one of the particular contracted experiences that our show oftentimes speak to is the post-evangelical or the former Christian matrix of crises, I think you could call it, which includes issues relating to um, growing up as a young man in the United States or in the West more broadly, um, and being under the influence both intellectually and morally, emotionally, of the evangelical church, um, issues pertaining to family trauma and dramas that might come out of both of those tensions. And then, of course, you know, what we oftentimes call epistemological crises on here, which is a sort of crisis of knowledge. And I think in a, in a deeper way, we could say that that's a crisis of understanding your place in the world and orienting yourself to the world and your society and your communities. And from what I've gathered from the information that I have received from speaking with my father, who's there in the house now with, with my uncle, and others is that um, that my cousin had been dealing with what seems like a very a very similar contraction of concerns for a few years now, and he never voiced them. And I, I think we can add another. Another really potent issue in there is the issue of isolation that has been intensified and exacerbated over the last year because of the lockdowns and social restrictions and things like that due to the fallout of the COVID pandemic. And and what it seems like is it seems like my cousin did not have the resources to be able to express himself, to make his suffering known. And we did a, a series on the ethics of suicide, and we talked about it from a philosophical perspective and had a, a guest or two on who were more qualified to speak about the kind of clinical side and some of the, the statistics and whatnot with regards to suicidal ideation and things. And of course, we looked at like Albert Camus, and I think we talked about William James and and others. Um, and um, I'm coming to kind of rambling here, so I, I'm sorry if I lose my my train of thought. But um, one of the things that Troy brought to our attention during that series was a visual 
metaphor, uh, an explainer, if you will, by David Foster Wallace about what this type of suicidal ideation feels like. And he talked about how it felt like, um, it feels like being trapped in a burning building and the flames get closer and closer and closer and closer and eventually you're cornered and you have no other option but to, to leap out of the window. And I think that's really impacted my thinking on this a lot. You know, a lot of family that I've spoken with today has talked about the selfishness of this because it impacts family. And and while I think that this is a kind of quite common response, um, I think... I think it's important not to rush to that type of judgment, but to really hold uh, a more empathic view in our hands. And I think this Foster Wallace imagery that he gives us about the being trapped in the burning building is a very good way of scraping beneath the surface. I think the 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 rush to the judgment of selfishness takes place at a certain level of societal expectation and ethics. One maybe that already presumes a sort of individualism. And what I wonder is if there isn't something a bit more that we can learn by by listening to the voices of those people who are suffering with this kind of thing. And so taking that kind of visual metaphor of the burning building in mind, and um, also another conversation that I recently had with a friend in mind that I'll share in a second, the contents of, um, I wonder if that doesn't help us kind of get a little bit of a better grip or if it doesn't better attune us, if you will, to... to the kind of substance of, of the suffering that is experienced, oftentimes. Um, the second anecdote was I was recently having a conversation with a friend who grew up in uh, Brazil, and um, this man has uh, since, quote, come out of the closet, right? But it wasn't until he was 27, and he lived in a different country, a country that wasn't so replete with machismo and certain um, strong impositions of uh, gender roles that he was able to kind of give voice to something. And, and one of the most interesting things that he was talking about was how he didn't know that he was gay when he was younger in Brazil, growing up as a young boy or even a teenager and maybe even a young man. Um, it wasn't one of those things where it was like he always knew or he was hiding it or something like that. But the way that he voiced it was that for him, the way that he understood it, being gay was that you wanted to wear dress and wear a wig and you wanted to kind of like be like a lady. And he said, and I didn't want that, so I wasn't gay. And he felt like he didn't belong and he did experience senses or times when he thought about ending his life because he felt like he just simply didn't belong. 
And the thing that was so profound when he was telling me this is what it what it showed to me was is that he lived in a world that didn't give him the semantic tools to be able to actually think beyond this really tightly culturally constructed framework of what it meant to be something, right? To be gay meant to like want to wear dresses or wear makeup or kind of be more like a lady. But that that wasn't what he wanted. <laughs> um, but he didn't have the capacity to actually understand what he wanted at that time because he didn't have the, the semantic regime. He didn't have the language game. He didn't have um, a societal framework that would allow him to even be able to think it in the first instance, right? And um, <clears throat> there was something so interesting about that and kind of going now back to my cousin. In the letter, he talked about how he was attracted to girls, but he didn't know how to approach them because he felt really shy. He talked about being raised in an evangelical environment and how he believed and he was longing for the rapture, but... Um, but obviously it wasn't coming. So um, he talked about how he'd been thinking about this for years. He called his friends beforehand and apologized. Um, he left a post on social media right before with photos of him and his brothers, his father, him with his mother, him with some of his friends. I mean, it didn't have any sort of big statement. It just said GG, which, as far as I can surmise, was good game. He was an athlete, so it wouldn't surprise me if that was kind of his way of saying bye. Um, and I don't know, I'm trying to kind of piece together how to understand and and I'll be honest, the first, my first reaction after being brokenhearted for my uncle and my, my other cousins was actually anger and not with Andrew, not with my cousin, but anger with the church and anger with society. Because like my friend in Brazil, I feel like Andrew didn't have the resources to be able to really express certain things. I don't know if there was issues of identity, sexual desire, things like that that were holding him back or that were confusing him, I should say. I don't know. I don't know if he was having doubts about his faith. I don't know if he felt unclean by being held up and measured against, you know, the law of perfection. I don't know if... Um, I don't know if if the church that he went to was like a really dogmatic church. My uncle is evangelical, raised the boys in an evangelical environment, but it's also kind of more Southern California surfer dude evangelical. So if you're familiar with that, it's a little bit more kind of Calvary Chapel-esque where it's a little more um, <laughs> evangelicalism with a, a laid-back face. But there's still, and this is what brought the anger about, there's still these restrictions on what that societal framework allows you to think. I remember as a young boy, 12, 13 years old, laying in bed and crying and like asking for God to change my heart because I just didn't feel different. 
I hear all these stories about being born again. You see this ecstatic worship on the weekends. You hear these these crazy conversion stories, and I didn't feel different. But I kept asking, and I felt bad. I felt like I was a failure. And I know this is purely anecdotal, but I've been around enough evangelical individuals and and listened to stories and whatnot to think that maybe maybe there was something going on here with Andrew. And even though in the letter he didn't say anything like some final triumphant, fuck you, goodbye, I didn't want to be a part of this world to begin with, but rather when he talked about the rapture, all I could think about was what he was really saying was that he wanted some kind of release, some kind of peace, right? This was maybe his, the language that he had at his um, at his disposal, this was his way of making a similar point to what David Foster Wallace was saying. And the rapture was that answer. But he didn't have any other capacity to be able to figure out how to alleviate the pains from the fire or the suffering from this world that he was experiencing. And my anger comes from the fact that I feel like the church environment in which he was involved only exacerbated that sense that he was somehow deficient or that sense that he couldn't look to certain possible resources to enable him to, one, express himself, but also to see that that there are other ways of alleviating that pain and suffering and to finding contentment, connection, etc. And I don't know. Right now, I, I think that's my kind of primary emotion is, is anger at the church at that entire worldview because I think that it while it gives certain tools and resources to deal with certain ways of living in the world it also withholds what I think is a much richer field of possible resources to be able to deal with with life um yeah And so that's that's the first layer of anger. And um, I have a second layer of anger, which is um, pertaining to uh, my grandmother, who is in a home, in an assisted living home, or a, a nursing home, or whatever it is, and... The family haven't informed her yet, and as I said earlier, Andrew was was her uh, was her baby, and this is gonna this is gonna fucking destroy her. And two things: one, because of COVID restrictions, they're minimizing who can come into these assisted living homes, because these individuals that are living in these homes are obviously very susceptible to respiratory failure and other um, possible consequences of being exposed to the, the novel coronavirus, right? Um, but I found out that, you know, there's no on-site therapist or psychologist that would be able to help somebody through this sort of time. These people are kind of living in these isolated environments. And this, again, makes me angry that there are structures and systems that have their priorities all fucked up. And without being overly 
simplistic. It um, it seems that if we don't put people first and we don't put community first and we don't put connection first, then what you end up with is a barbaric system where the matriarch of your family has been shut out from the news because the fear is, and this is a good fear, this was my fear when I first found out, the fear is, is that she could um, induce a stroke, a heart attack, that she might just give up, that the loneliness and isolation of being locked away in this home would, one, cause massive suffering for her, and two, potentially cause her body to shut down, cause uh, all kinds of possible opportunities for sickness to, to, to take over her body. And um, it just fucking pisses me off that that this is um, probably a very common, at least similar type of experience. And um, and I and I don't I don't blame the decision makers in my family for not not telling her immediately. I mean, you can't fucking call a, an 80-something-year-old woman who's already not in the greatest of health, can't call her on the phone and tell her that her beloved grandchild took his own life and then hang up. Um, of course, you go, you can get her out of the home, but they're trying to figure out how to do this, right? Um... I don't know. I don't know. It, it it makes me think a lot of different thoughts, and I'm sure you out there have a lot of different thoughts. Me, it's like just break the fucking doors down and get her and bring her into the home, and, and then you take her out of there for however long you need to. Um, <laughs> that seems like my answer. I don't know if that's the easy answer. I'm not the one that's there, you know, and it's also tough being what's 10,000 miles away or whatever the hell I am. But, um, but anyway, without kind of knowing the full story, I, I definitely think at least the anger at that the societal framework is justified. And uh, I don't know, I just wanted to share, because I don't really know, I'm still thinking through things, and I know that so many of, of you have contacted us with expressing your own struggles with, one, the societal framework, and then two, more particularly with regard to my cousin, uh, a similar set of concerns, you know? dealing with your faith or having left your faith and then trying to understand how to how to find the societal resources and tools to be able to speak and think and live in a in a world that maybe doesn't give you access to those resources and tools right and um I don't know. I I don't know what the answer is to be able to, to provide better tools and resources, but um, I hope that we can do better to build those societal unions like we talked about with the interview with Sarah Jaffe. I hope we can do better to build artistic opportunities and local bowling clubs and... Um, 
housing arrangements and civic centers and cool bars and whatever the fuck else we can do that creates spaces for people to connect. But um, I hope we continue to do that. You know, uh, I hope to be part, at least however I can, in in creating spaces where that where that can occur, even if it's just online. If it's in person, I hope that I can be part of those spaces too. <laughs> and and hopefully, if you're looking for those resources to be able to try to learn how to speak and think, because you're kind of in a similar space as maybe where my cousin was, and definitely where my friend was. Um. I hope that you don't feel trapped in that burning building. Um, but I hope you, I hope you are able to find ways of alleviating that that hurt and that pain. Um, Obviously, we'll do the best we can with answering emails if you just want to chat. We're not therapists, so there's also limitations on what we can probably say, but you can, of course, email us. You can tweet at us. Um, Hopefully, you have resources and access to professional therapists, friends, and I think it's becoming less of a stigma, but I hope that we can feel emboldened, especially as young men. Maybe I'm not so young anymore, but out there, if you're listening, to speak about these things that hurt us, to speak about our pain without fear of judgment, without thinking that the church is going to simply give you an answer that you already think. And this is the other thing, too. A lot of times we think we know what the answer is going to be that someone's going to give us, and you don't know. Just fucking... Try to find voices, people that you can, people that you think you can trust, and just don't feel like you're burdening them. Talk to them. Um, I do think the younger generation is getting a little bit better, but at least at, at being vulnerable. But obviously, my cousin would be an exception to that that generalization. So there's clearly still an issue. Um, But yeah, just please. um, Just do what you got to do, I guess, to find the resources that you need to find so that you can can deal with the pain. Yeah. Um, I don't really have anything else to say. I just wanted to share some thoughts. Love you guys. Hope this wasn't too much of a downer. Um, but yeah, that's it. Hmm. Of course, Troy and I will be back with regular episodes and all of that good stuff coming forward. The world is tough sometimes, and there's a lot of tragedy, and it can be overwhelming and confusing. Sometimes there are just no fucking answers. You know? But, yeah. Love you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. 
Hope you guys are all right. That's it.